We'll just pray before we read. Lord and God, we thank you again for this opportunity that we can open your word. Um, Lord, we just pray that um, this word will enter our hearts and our minds, that you will give us understanding. We pray that you'll be with Glenn as he preaches to us um, and just expands and, and opens up. We just pray that your spirit will work in us. Amen. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you might find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my wombs that may become become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. And the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Thank you. We um, began last week this little sort of mini stories, uh, mini series on uh, 
Stories have changed lives. If you were here last week, you would have heard um, Luke give some of his uh, story um, and uh, talked a bit about Grace's story. He's a young man that he's been working with in Uganda. And um, we heard how changing lives and lives that are changed uh, have an effect on others and bring about change in other people's lives. And today uh, we heard Andrew's story, um, a career change that is so much more than a career change. And God uh, has a way of changing our lives, of taking us in different directions, directions than uh, different directions that we might have thought we would ever go in. Change is often hard. It's often messy. It's often confusing. Um, and it's not something we actually really often want to do. And it's not something we do that well when it comes our way. But it's funny, isn't it? That it's often through change that we grow. It's often when we're in that place of stretching, of confusion, of uncertainty, of um, trying to make sense of things, of places where we feel out of our depth or um, uncertain about the future, that often God seems to work in those spaces. And God seems to reveal himself in different ways. Maybe sends us angels or speaks to us through his word or through his spirit or through others around us. And often, often the good stories that we hear uh, uh, involve a lot of this sort of change. The good stories that actually uh, engage us and take us in are ones that have a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety around them. And often they're told with a sense of reward and a sense of um, God was at work. And as I look back in hindsight, I see him doing things that I never thought I would experience. Or he has changed me in a way that I never thought I could change. I'm doing things that I never thought I could do. Stories of change, uh, as we tell them, uh, often uh, involve... Uh, um, Change not just in us, but change in the people God puts in our paths. Often those stories of change have got to do with people that are in our our place, either in a positive or a negative way. And often uh, God calls us when we're changing, uh, often he calls us into the lives of people that also need to change. And he calls us to serve in those places, or he calls us into a place of need. Uh, where often we don't think what we have, or we don't think we have what it takes to help that person or to engage with that situation. And stories of change often bring about glory to God. Uh, You don't have to talk to Andrew much, and he will start talking about how God was interacting in these last few years of his journey, how God has been good to him. 
uh, how he has a powerful story of the power of God at work in that situation. And often when you talk to people that have gone through those, those uh, periods of change and stretching, uh, often uh, if, for those of us who are followers of God, followers of Jesus, he's right in the centre of them. And they often bring about his glory in them. God's stories of change often get us focusing on him and his activity and his work amongst us. People will often testify to God's goodness, God's strength, God's presence, God's power, God's insight in those places of change and transition. And we all have them. We all have stories of change. Some of them are big. Some of them are small. Some of them happen every day. Some of them are happening over periods of time. And in particular for those of us who are followers of Christ... We have a big story of life change. <laughs> We've been called from death to life. We were lost and we're now found. God has given us a different purpose and a different place in this world. And as we put our stories into the big story of God, of his saving work that, comes, uh, that is revealed to us in his word, that is a, a, an ongoing story of change and transformation and restoration of his people, we come to a greater understanding of who God is and how he's at work in our lives in every situation. We see this big story of God um, redeeming and saving his people, changing his people. Uh, it costs him a lot to do that. And it costs him a lot to bring about change in his people's lives. And yet that's what he's doing. And so... I want to focus a little bit today on stories, your stories, great stories, stories of change. And great stories actually take a little bit of skill to tell. They actually take a little bit of preparation to tell. Uh, Andrew had to work a little bit. He sort of had a whole PowerPoint thing of trying to work out and tell his story. And the ability, particularly us as followers of Jesus, the art of telling a story that keeps God at the centre of it, not just us or our activity. And so uh, that's why today I wanted to have a look at, for me, one of the greatest stories in the Bible. It's an amazing story. It's uh, a powerful story. It's um, a brilliantly crafted story. Um, and if you haven't yet already this week, I encourage you to read this story. It's only four chapters long. Uh, Carolyn read the first chapter for us. Um, it's a, a story that's uh, been close to my heart. I used to be able to read this whole chapter in, um, in Hebrew many, many years ago. <laughs> and maybe when I had to, because it was where I had to study Hebrew all those years. And uh, in that, I began to understand that the sort of the craft that this narrator has put together in, put in, in telling this story. Um, and I want us to hopefully learn a little bit about this as we think about how we tell our stories. And I'm going to sort of take us through the story of Ruth. And if you've got your Bibles there, we're going to sort of flick through it. And we're going to be thinking a bit about our stories and how we tell our stories. And so it begins uh, in the time of the judges. It was actually a very messed up time in the life of Israel. And uh, Elimelech and his sons leave Israel. 
this is not a good thing. They're not supposed to be doing this. Um, and even uh, Elimelech's sons, they're actually given Canaanite names. And there's this sense that Elimelech's actually left Israel, going his own way, um, and he's gone to a foreign land uh, where he's not supposed to be. Uh, his sons have married Moabite women, which is not good. If you read uh, in, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 23, the Israelites were specifically told to avoid the Moabites. They were sort of almost seen as enemies of God. They came out of Lot's sort of Lot and his daughters. That's sort of that that story there, uh, and they weren't supposed to be near them. And so that's a bit of the sort of the context as we, they're, they're in a dangerous territory. And in this place, in this strange land, uh, these three men die. And then we're left with three widows in a foreign land and they're in there in the midst of a famine. Widows in a famine by themselves in a foreign land is not a good place to be. As they're probably being stretched to all sorts of situations. So Naomi in the end says... Uh, where else can I go? I'm going to go back to my people, back to my home. And uh, Orpha and Ruth uh, sort of interact with, their, with her there. Um, Orpha returns back home and Ruth uh, clings to Naomi and says those famous words, if you know this story, um, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Uh, were you to die there, I'll die with you and be buried. And this is the last bit of that. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if anything separates me from you and, you and me. Ruth is a woman who has been changed by God. Yahweh has taken her life and she now has an intimate relationship. She knows Yahweh. She knows the God of Israel. And she wants to be with Ruth back with the people of Yahweh. And she is an amazing woman. Uh, she's a Moabitess. So right through these chapters, she's referred to as Ruth the Moabitess. Right through this story. Uh, she is a changed woman and she does an amazing thing. Because basically what she does is she gives up her life for her mother-in-law. Because really, if you notice that, she should have just gone back to her own family. And in ancient history there, family was everything. Family was your social security network. Your extended family was where you were cared for and looked after. And if she went back, she could have gone back to her family. They would have looked after and cared for her and... and now she is going to go to Israel with her mother-in-law. And what did the Israelites think of Moabites? They hated them. She's probably signing her death warrant by going back to Israel because <laughs> they, they don't like Moabites there. And yet she is so changed, she is so committed to her mother-in-law to be with her and to go with her. She does this. And Ruth goes with Naomi back to uh, Bethlehem. Her life, in the end, as we sort of as we go right through this story, um, and sort of up here, as her life goes, in the end, Naomi's life, uh, sorry, Ruth's life is going to buy Naomi's life back. She's actually going to be restored. 
It's interesting that when the writer of this original story is writing this down, I don't think he really had a clue what was happening. He's capturing this amazing story that happens, but as we go through here, we realise that this story is telling a much bigger story, isn't it? This is a story about redemption, about the salvation of people, about the restoration of people, about one who would come that would actually redeem his people. That this story actually points forward to the story of Jesus, and we'll get there in a minute. Because we know that Jesus leaves a foreign land, and Jesus leaves his land, sorry, his land, and enters a foreign land. Jesus gives up his life for his people so that they would be restored and redeemed. That he would die in order, it would take a great cost for this to happen. And as we think about sort of Ruth's story, as we think about Andrew's story, as you think about your story, think about this idea that God is at work in your story in ways that you have no idea. The Holy Spirit, if, you, as a, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is at work in your story in ways that you have no idea. And often when these stories are told, <laughs> we see the work of God. When we look back on them, we see God's activity was right through them. Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem. Straight away that's got us ringing, isn't it? We're, we're reading back into this story. We know that uh, there's something significant about Bethlehem. And what happens at the end of this story, a baby is born. We know a story of a baby that was born in Bethlehem. The Holy Spirit is at work in this story. With the writer, had no idea. God is at work in your stories in ways that you have no idea. And as they're told and as people interact with them, they come into, the, uh, into contact with the story of God. So Naomi has, which Naomi's name means pleasant. So she goes to a foreign land, pleasant, and now she comes back and they call her what when they return back? Mara or bitter. She's gone from pleasant to bitter. And uh, Naomi does probably what we often do, is she blames God. It was God's fault that this happened. <laughs> and Naomi has no idea at what God's doing in her story. And this painful, bitter place, God is at work. So they get back into town, and if you've got this is sort of going into sort of the second chapter and third chapter, you can, you can follow along on your phones or in your Bibles or look at them later. Back in town, um, what's happened is their family land, all the Israelites had family land, their land has been sold. So here they are, two widows, uh, one a foreign widow in Israel with no land, uh, pretty well no hope. They're the poorest of poor, and so they do what only the poor can do, is that they are told to glean in the fields. So when the harvest is on, the poor people would go out and they would collect um, food from around what was left around the edges. And so that's what Ruth does. And the author does, as you read through this, make sure you read through it during the week, he does some amazing things. There's these little lines where it says, and it so happens that she gleans in the, fa in the, fa in the uh, fields of Boaz. 
It's interesting that the narrator that narrates this whole story makes no mention of God whatsoever. The narrator that writes the story doesn't mention God at all. The people in the story talk about God, but the narrator doesn't. And the narrator actually has done a brilliant thing because he knows his audience. He's talking to Jewish people. This story is for Jewish people. And so he's edited God out of the story. But what is every Israelite thinking as they're reading this story? God's orchestrating the whole thing. God's working every little detail in this. God's weaving together a story in Ruth's life. We can see him everywhere through it. Boaz, who is a godly man, a man of noble character, uh, has heard of Ruth's story. Ruth's story has got around the town of Bethlehem. People know she is the one, the Moabites, who has done an amazing thing for her mother-in-law and is coming and serving her mother-in-law. And I thought about that. I thought about who's telling your story and what are they telling about your story? What are people hearing about your story? What's your... It just got me thinking, yeah, it's really important the way that we live and engage and interact with Jesus because other people will begin to tell our stories, not just us. People that observe us and our stories get out. What are other people telling about your story? Other people have pointed out that she's a Moabitess and so therefore she should have nothing to do with us but, no, uh, but Boaz, who is a godly man, who has a heart for this refugee <laughs> and takes her in. And he looks after her and he goes over and beyond. He doesn't just allow her to glean, he gets her working, he gets her working with her, his harvesters. And so she's working in the fields and she goes home that night um, with extra food, an abundance of food. And uh, as she goes home, she debriefs with Naomi. And here's another brilliant bit of story as you're reading it through. There's this whole story. Ruth's telling Naomi what's going on. And I've been out in the fields and I've been gleaning and I've been gleaning. And it so happens that I'm gleaning for this man, Boaz. And his name is the last bit of this story. And, and so there's actually an art in telling a story that actually engages people with what's going on. And then, boom, it's Boaz. And Naomi then responds... And Naomi's story starts to change. Because she says, what's going on? Boaz is someone special. Boaz is our kinsman redeemer. He's actually a distant relative to us. And this is what Naomi says in that place. She says, the Lord has not stopped showing me kindness. Yet here she is, a poor widow with nothing. And she sees that God actually is orchestrating and Boaz is their kinsman redeemer. If you're wondering what a kinsman redeemer is, God set up this uh, system in, in uh, the Old Testament where a distant relative could actually buy back the land that were given to each of the families and he could uh, buy that back so that the family's land could continue to be theirs. Uh, and so it had to be a distant relative, but he still had to buy it back and it didn't become his it became the family that he bought it back for. And so um, this is what Boaz... Uh, so Boaz uh, um, is that kinsman redeemer. Yet, 
Uh, he doesn't quite know this yet. If you know the rest of the story, if it goes into chapter 3, uh, Naomi starts scheming a little bit. And uh, she says, I want you to go. Uh, uh, Boaz will be at the threshing floor tonight out in the field. What I want you to do is go out to him and uh, I want you to ask him to marry you. And so that's what she does. She goes out, she lays at his feet. If you know this story, she lays at his feet and he wakes up and finds this woman at the end of his, um, his bed and uh, she basically makes a marriage proposal. Imagine the guts that it takes to do that. A Moabitess woman. And so women should not be in a threshing, field, a threshing floor at night. It's a dangerous, scary place. And yet in her obedience to Yahweh, in her obedience to her mother-in-law, she does this. And blow me down with a feather. <laughs> I don't even know where that saying comes from. Where does that saying come from? Um, Boaz says yes. And there's, it's really interesting. This whole chapter, chapter uh, 3... Uh, is laced with all sorts of sexual innuendo. All the language in there, you probably don't pick it up so much in the English, but I remember doing this in the Hebrew. It's laced with all sorts of sexual innuendo. But Boaz and Ruth come out as a sort of shining light in this place. And in that place, they remain faithful to each other. And Boaz says, yes. And then... um, Ruth comes home, tells Naomi again, there's great celebration, and Naomi um, says, you watch, today Boaz will make this happen. You watch, today. And it's great storytelling because I thought, I, I, I had to think of another great story, which is um, The Princess Bride. And I think it's Fasini that's looking, going to kill the six-fingered man, and he says, there will be blood tonight. <laughs> And, and it's actually an art of storytelling. He's actually sort of building this point that something's going to happen today. And if you're a first reader of this, and you, you, you think, okay, you're being drawn into it. Have you got things in your story, when you're telling your story, that draw people in? Have you got life situations or things that have happened that you know actually how to tell to engage people? And it might be different for different people. How good are you at telling your story? Have you ever done it? <laughs> when was the last time you did it? Um, one of the things I did, what was it? It was early this year. Uh, I was reading a book on leadership and they get you to, um, to map out your story. It was a great practice and I encourage you to do it. Maybe this week, do a timeline. Do a timeline of your, your life and there will be um, ups and there will be great downs. <laughs> And have a look at how God's been working in those ups and downs. And reflect about the, the, the times that you saw God at work or struggles and ups and downs. It's a great, great way of just understanding our own stories. So in chapter 4, as it gets to the end, Boaz does his work. Uh, there is a bit of a hiccup because there is another kingsman redeemer that comes into the story. There's someone actually before Boaz that can do this. So Boaz sort of sets him up a little bit. Um, and he goes to him and says, oh, look, uh, you can be, you're a kinsman redeemer. You can uh, buy back Naomi's uh, land. Uh, and he says, yeah, I'll do it. And then Boaz says, oh, but if you do that, uh, you get something thrown in. And you get Ruth the Moabitess thrown in. And part of the thing was you had to marry her. And so then you realize that this kinsman redeemer is a dodgy kinsman redeemer. He doesn't want to do it. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that because that's going to affect me. Because if I have kids by her, 
they'll actually end up owning my land and my family. And so he actually, he's a selfish kinsman reader and doesn't do it. He hasn't got what it takes. But Boaz does. And you've realised what Boaz is doing here. He's marrying a foreign woman. This shouldn't be happening. <laughs> and the Moabites, uh, a Moabites woman or the Moabites were not allowed to enter the temple. They were not allowed to enter. The, and so by doing this, uh, Boaz is going to be compromised in his life. And yet he's willing to lay down his life for the sake of Ruth and Naomi. And it was settled today. Uh, there's this strange sandal swapping thing. I won't go into that, but that happens in there as well. It seals the deal. Um, and then there are big sort of changes in the attitude that the stories that are being told around town. That the stories of Naomi and Ruth the Moabites um, start to change. And there are the role of these women. These, the, the, the women give a bit of a narrative on the side, this group of women. They were the ones that said, oh, you know, that Naomi talks to, about at the, uh, talks to at the start and says, I'm bitter. Right through the story, they sort of come in and interact. Now the women are saying stuff like this. May you and Ruth be blessed. May you be famous in the story of Israel. May God use you in his story to continue his work. May you be like, now they're saying, may you, Ruth, and Naomi be like Rachel and Leah, great women who, who formed, um, formed uh, the people of Israel. But then they even go further and they say, may you also be like Perez and Tamar. I, I told you the story of Perez and Tamar a while back. This is not a good story. It's a very dodgy story. And it's almost like they're saying, ah, in these dodgy stories, we know that God still works. We know that even this is a dodgy story that we've now got a Moabites in our town and she's married into our people, that God's at work in it. And here's the thing I was thinking about. Ruth's story is not a perfect story, but it's God's story. And so many of our stories, so many of the stories through the Bible are not perfect stories. They're messed up, they're mixed up, they are all sorts of but often they're God's stories. Our stories are not perfect stories, but they're God's stories. The Lord is at work. How is the Lord at work in your story? And so Boaz redeems. It's the same sort of language that we he, he buys them back and he restores them back into the people of Israel. And what did the women do, these women that were on the side? The words that come out of their mouth at the end, they say, praise be to the Lord. So you know what's happened? People have interacted with this story and the people who are interacting with the stories are now praising God because they're seeing the power of God at work in their lives. And they start to say this about, this is what the women of the town now, they say, Ruth is better than seven sons. This is unheard of language, particularly in ancient contexts where men, you know, the sons were the inheritance. And now everyone's saying, Ruth is better than seven sons. Through her obedience, through her willingness to follow, uh, God has worked. 
and God has worked in her to enable that to happen. Ruth is a humble servant who gives up her life uh, for Naomi. And at the end of the story, if you read the end of the story, it's a, it's, it's a bit like, I was thinking, I thought of the, um, it's the Lion King story. It's, uh, they hold up the baby at the end because Ruth and Boaz have a baby. And the baby's name is Obed, which actually I think it means servant, servant. And they hold him up. It's like the Lion King and it's all the beautiful music. That's what I was picturing. <laughs> I don't want to start singing it because it's bad. Um, and so it's, it's all like, but then, as you read it, it's like the narrator stuffs up. Because so as they're holding it up and, they, and the women who are commentating and they say, and, and now Naomi has a son. What? Oh, it was Ruth's son, wasn't it? You see, all the way we think this story is about Ruth. But actually, I think the story is all about Naomi, who was actually a widow in a famine in a And someone came to her and served her the way and gave her life for her so that Naomi's family, and now Naomi's family name, can be restored. And God's story continues now through the family that has been restored through her. And Ruth has been the, the humble servant in this. And often it's, it's in that. It's that the humble servant story that allows for powerful change in the lives of others. Are your, ser- your stories servant stories? That's what I've been asking myself this week. And the full stop to the story, if you've read into chapter 4 is a little genealogy Whoop, there it is and Ruth married Boaz who Obed who was the grandfather of David who was in the line of Jesus and over the other side you get Salmon Boaz Obed and Jesse and in there you get people like Rahab and Ruth who in Matthew chapter 1 when you talk about the line of Jesus there are four women mentioned in it And these are two of them. Their stories get woven into the story of salvation of Jesus coming. Out of their messed up, mixed up stories, God is at work at bringing his salvation to his people. God is at work in your stories, in your lives, to bring about the salvation of his people. Their stories become part of God's big story. Are you good at telling your story in the light of the big story? I was thinking about Andrew's story. I don't want to do it too too much of a comparison, but I just I was looking at the way God led him and changed him, and I look at the way his life is is bringing about restoration to broken people as he works with widows in grief, he works with migrants and refugees, people who don't belong, he works in marriages and families, he works in some of his stuff through CAP and restoring financial and property and legal stuff. Andrew's story, (laughs) he has no idea what God's up to in that. He has no idea of what what God's doing in and through him. The lives that will be changed 
because of his willingness to follow where God called him? What's your story? <laughs> What's the story of this church? You can look at it personally, but as this church, as God calls us into a new frontier and a new place and brings in new people, that he calls us to take risks, to change. As I said, often it's the risky stories that are the good stories. Are you taking risk for God? <laughs> Is he calling you to places? I think actually it gives us a little bit more courage to be able to step into that. Stories of the follower of Jesus, followers of Jesus, changed people who result in change in people. Our stories woven into the story of God. I think I've said this before. It's been a personal challenge for me and I put it out to you is don't edit God out of your stories. We often do it. We often do it. Don't edit God out of your stories. Weave him into it. Work out how you can tell your story in a way that's appropriate for the people that you're speaking to. How you can weave in the story of Jesus and God into your story. Our stories often become the catalyst of great change in other people's lives. Take a risk. Be part of a humble servant friendship that will result in life change for someone else. And as God has taken our lives and changed them and transformed them, so often he's using our stories to transform and change others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have changed us. We thank you that you have called us from death to life. To call us as people who were far from you and you've called us close to you people who were um, not known by you, who now know you as our Father, uh, that you know as your children, that you have woven uh, your story into our stories, that we understand uh, our purpose and our meaning and our lives in new and fresh ways through you. We thank you, Lord, for keeping... Um, your stories in the Bible that we can read and we can see your big story at work. We thank you for Jesus who came and lived amongst us, died and redeemed us, brought us back, gave us new life so that we can live with you. Lord, will you help us to trust in you, help us to walk in faith with you. Lord, I just pray that you would anoint us with your spirit to help us tell your story well as we tell our stories. Will you give us words and opportunities and situations to display your work in our lives? May your glory be displayed as we live out your story with those that you've placed in our paths. May all glory go to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're going to sing a song. Uh, it's called, it's a bit of an oldie, but a goodie. I'll never be the same again. Um, and I, this is sort of like, it's almost like a prayer or commitment song. And I'm going to ask that you would pray that and commit to this again, that your life would be one of continued change as you walk with God, that you would take uh, steps of risk as you step into his purpose for you.
and that as you do that, this song, it talks about um, uh, soaking in like rain or like burning like fire. These are Holy Spirit type images that you ask the Holy Spirit to come in and um, to work through your story, through your life as you interact with people uh, today and this week and in the months to come. So let's stand and worship and commit our lives to him through this song.